Hello everyone. Hi uh, sir sir. Hi Simon. Hi Evan. Hi. Welcome to Eyes on Southeast Asia, the premier podcast on foreign policy, security and economic issues in Southeast Asia. Brought to you by the Foreign Policy Community of Indonesia, FPCI. I'm Jamil Maidan Flores and I'll be your host for this to, for the episode today. Today we are going to have an exciting uh, discussion. We are going to talk about the recent US-China uh, meeting that was held in Anchorage, Alaska last March 18 between the US and China. Uh, the first meeting between the two major powers since uh, President Biden took office. Joining me today, are Mr. Cesar Purism of the Philippines. He was Secretary of Finance uh, from 2010 to 2016. Uh, Professor Simon Tay of Singapore, Chairman of the Singapore Institute of International Affairs, and Dr. Evan Laxmana of CSIS Jakarta. So my first question is, uh, can you give us uh, briefly and in broad strokes your general uh, impression and your assessment on the significance of this verbal encounter in Anchorage, Alaska? Um, I think the fact that uh, uh, they met, I think is a good uh, uh, first step, especially considering that uh, uh, the meeting is coming from uh, a very low point, probably the lowest point uh, in the history of the uh, relationship, especially with the last four years of the uh, Trump uh, administration. And uh, from the U.S. standpoint, uh, this is one issue that uh, has uh, bipartisan uh, support. In fact, 89% of Americans uh, now regard China as uh, a competitor or an enemy. So clearly, uh, the first part of the meeting, which was for the press, no? I think was posturing mainly uh, for the domestic uh, uh, audience. But there's one big difference now, I think, uh, with this current U.S. administration, uh, because I think uh, unlike uh, uh, the Trump uh, team that was uh, uh, really, uh, uh, you know, following the playbook or the absence of playbook of their president, which was just uh, Twitter diplomacy, uh, I think uh, you have a team now that's really uh, thoughtful about this uh, uh, process. In fact, uh, uh, Blinken uh, mentioned that, uh, that they've identified the possible areas of interest, such as uh, the climate change, the crisis that might result from it, uh, uh, Iran, uh, Afghanistan, uh, and even how to get the uh, world out of this economic uh, rut that uh, uh, we're in. Uh, it was also mentioned earlier that Blinken is... Uh, uh, not new to foreign policy, having been part of the, the Obama administration. Remember when uh, Senator Kerry or Secretary Kerry was Secretary of State, uh, they identified 120 uh, areas, potential areas of uh, uh, yes. cooperation. So I think this is a good uh, uh, first step. Uh, there was some posturing, but uh, uh, given uh, uh, the fact that uh, the current administration will be uh, more thoughtful, will be more, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
multilateral in its approach. Uh, I think the, it's good that they've established the baseline and has gotten the process uh, going. Oh, what's your take, uh, Simon? I tend to agree with what Cesar said. I think uh, idea of a real reset, it's not possible. You know, for China, they've come too far and where they are also in the pandemic, they've seen their country handle it fairly well and many others, including America, stumble. So if I think back to the global financial crisis, there will be people in China who think this is a pivotal moment for them, that uh, their style is again uh, and strengthening, whereas others are facing some real challenges in the years ahead. Secondly, for America, we knew even before the election that it is not just Trump, but a broad cross-section from Democrats to Republicans with business in between. There really were uh, the point where they thought they had been too soft on China. But I agree, says uh, the question was then how the Biden administration would start to prosecute or push, push forward with their uh, effort against uh, uh, Chinese of unfairness, et cetera. I was heartened, therefore, that uh, both Blinken and Jake Sullivan showed a savviness towards China and the region. They are knowledgeable people, uh, as you said as well, Mr. Moderator. And I think that the emphasis they've given to rules-based alliances are critical for ASEAN. You know, uh, there is going to be a sense of competition and sometimes outright contention between these two large countries. If it's an all-in, bare-knuckles, ruthless war or fight, this is not good for us. But if it is a rules-based fight, like boxing, I mean, it'll be tough. The rules are essential to make a difference between a brawl and a real competition contention. You know, I think a brawl weakens the international system. Um, the approach that the Biden administration is speaking of at the start can actually strengthen the alliances, strengthen what the international community feels is right or wrong. Well, I, I yes, uh, I like that uh, metaphor about uh, the Marquis of uh, Queensberry rules on boxing. <laughs> uh, yes, it's very important that there are rules. And uh, uh, what about uh, how about you, uh, Evan? What's your uh, assessment? Uh, thank you. Um, I'm afraid I have to be uh, less optimistic uh, compared to uh, my counterparts. Here, um, I think the key point about the summit is, of course, it is uh, the first attempt in which they have to feel each other out and set the tone for the new administration and so forth. Uh, but I think the outspokenness of some of the issues being discussed, at least in front of the, the press, uh, highlights uh, two things. One, the severe, uh, I think, polarization in, in, in the US-China relationship that also draws in uh, the rest of the world um, because it's, I think it's less room for compromise. I think it's, it's too soon to say that we are um, going back to the nice days of the Obama era and that the Trump, the Trump period is done. I think uh, that's not the case. I think the strategic competition of the Trump era will remain uh, with uh, sprinkles of the Obama era uh, personnel and approaches on heightened uh, levels. So I think uh, 
uh, Simon is perfectly right that uh, we, we can't go back to that era. But the second point I think in, in which I'm less optimistic is regarding the rules-based order part, uh, because I think it's certainly the case that both countries want to uh, cooperate while they can and, and compete as much as they can in other areas. But the problem is for the last five years on both sides, I think great power politics is now a domestic political contest. It is now about the legitimacy of the regime in Washington to be tough on China and vice versa in Beijing. And in the, in the contest between domestic legitimacy and rules-based order, I think domestic politics will win the day. So if it means that uh, the US will be more tough on China to sustain its, uh, its legitimacy as we head into the midterm elections next year, I think uh, it'll be hard to separate which one is uh, pure concern out of geopolitical interest and which one is purely domestic partisan interest. Uh, and I think this is where we in Southeast Asia need to be very careful uh, that we obviously prefer our own strategic autonomy. We obviously prefer that the US and China would work out the, uh, their issues and reduce tension in Southeast Asia. But we also have to be realistic now uh, in accepting that great power politics is now about the domestic legitimacy of the regime in Washington and Beijing. So it looks like the, the, the shape of uh, the uh, so-called uh, Cold War with unique characteristics between the two powers will be shaped uh, largely or to a great extent by developments, uh, internal developments in both China and in the uh, United States. Is that, uh, uh, is that a correct understanding of, uh, of what you have just uh, said, Ivan? Yeah. I think uh, when it comes to uh, uh, that relationship, I think this is not new for us, obviously in Southeast Asia that we've had to deal uh, with great power politics. Um, so this is not our first uh, try at, at, at balancing great power politics, but the problem I think is that unlike the previous eras where you can sort of carve out a niche area that we can hedge our bets in some areas. We build relationships uh, with one great power on some issues and build another with the others. I think that's increasingly harder to sustain uh, because of the polarization in, in, great, in great power politics. And I think the idea of an all out exclusionary competition between US and China, you know, if you uh, were to be supportive of us, you shouldn't do certain things that would be supportive of the other. Uh, that type of arrangement, I think, is becoming more common, uh, at least in terms of private conversations uh, with policymakers. That's the impression that um, uh, we're seeing. So this may not be uh, the same as, as our previous competition. So we may need to be um, more cautious of, of, this, of this downfall. And we need to develop, I think, new ways of thinking of how we can hedge our bets. Uh, but I do think uh, uh, we don't have yet we don't have a good idea just yet on how uh, to deal with this new round of great power competition. And I think ASEAN uh, has been the standard uh, response so far, uh, but I think the trend as we see in several Southeast Asian countries is that they themselves are also realizing uh, that ASEAN and the standard response of not choosing may not be sufficient. So I think countries in the region are struggling to find new options to manage this new round of great power competition. Can I jump in here? There are parts of which Evan said I agree with and others I fairly disagree. 
Uh, first, I'd say cautionarily, this is the first meeting. And we're still very early in. And the fact that it's not Biden speaking, but we're focusing on his two top officials is significant. America must give priority, presidential time, vice presidential time to the domestic situation with both the economy and still the pandemic unfolding. So I'd be a little bit hesitant to say we have got to decide soon. I do agree, Evan, that we are in a new era, and I hope nothing I said suggests that we're back in the Obama mirror happy. This is a new era where there are uh, risable differences. Uh, but it doesn't mean that our strategic outcomes aren't trying to be the same. I agree with Evan that we need to keep that sense of strategic autonomy. Then the question is, will the great powers tolerate it? And here, my current reading, I mean, look at what Biden has said just this week. He's saying quite explicitly that America is not counting on an either or issue. The way I read it is that in a way for the great powers, there are sort of three different baskets of areas. One is outright contention between them about Uyghurs, Hong Kong, Taiwan, almost everything that the Trump administration has put on the table has been kept on the table. But the second area is competition. And here, Biden's used the term sort of ultra competitive. No, and I feel that here in our region, right? If we want to have more economic integration, Americans aren't there. They've got nothing to compete with, whether it's the Belt and Road or it is the free trade agreements that RCEP, which ASEAN started, includes China, doesn't include America. The Americans under Trump walked away from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So in that sense of ultra-competition, I hope that Americans will return to our region more strongly, more substantively with something on the table. And therefore we have more choice rather than less choice. And but the third part is what Cesar talked about earlier. We even at this stage see some talk about cooperation. And I'm not, don't be too optimistic because again, this is the first round of talks. But I think if we think of the three baskets and how they develop, we, we might get a better reading of it in, in the months to come. I believe it was a good start. No? Even though the issues uh, that uh, in be between China and the US is the same, is that the US go, uh, go it alone strategy is no longer there. No? Uh, in fact, um, two important uh, quotes that I have of Blinken, no? Uh, he said that U.S. has to show up and engage the world. And if no one is organizing the world, it is to the U.S. advantage to help that process. Because if the U.S. does not do that, someone else will do. Then the uh, second thing that he said is the problems of the world cannot be solved unilaterally or single-handedly by any one country. And therefore, diplomacy is very important. And this, I think... Uh, is uh, very important because uh, these problems are going to be long-term uh, uh, problems. And the approach to the uh, dialogue or the discussion, I think, is very uh, uh, important because ultimately, as uh, Simon pointed out, there are different buckets. No? And there are buckets where you can agree to disagree. And there are buckets where you can see uh, cooperation. And one of the low-hanging opportunities really is in climate change, which uh, Biden has uh, you know, shown uh, a big interest by appointing uh, Secretary Kerry as uh, his uh, point person for, uh, uh, COP, uh, for, COP for climate change. Now, and this is a very important issue, not just for the US uh, or China or Southeast Asia, but the rest of the world that can become uh, hopefully the ice uh, breaker. I just wanted to add that. Thank you. All right. Uh, so 
I was uh, going to ask, uh, is there going to be uh, some kind of immediate uh, impact on the, uh, let's say, economic impact or political impact on, the, on Southeast Asia uh, as a result of this uh, uh, early interaction between the two powers? Well, as you know, China now is the number one trading partner of the region, and that's not going to change. No? Uh, uh, we're uh, next door neighbors, and we'll always be next door uh, uh, neighbors. And uh, uh, our area of the world will be the source of growth, uh, not just for the region, but for the uh, whole uh, uh, world. Uh, but what we hope to see is that, uh, whereas during the Trump administration, the U.S. was practically absent, uh, in the region, we hope that they begin their engagement. I don't think uh, uh, we can expect them to join this TPP uh, 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 again, but what I hope is they start negotiating bilaterally uh, with, uh, you know, conclude the one with Japan and with the different countries of the uh, region so that they help set the rules, uh, especially in digital commerce and the new emerging uh, areas of uh, engagement. Because if they don't, uh, they leave it up to China uh, to be able to uh, set that uh, uh, rule. So uh, for, for uh, Southeast Asia, it's important that uh, we continue to engage China simply because of our proximity as well as the fact that we're now each other's uh, number one uh, uh, trading partner. But more importantly, uh, we bring in the U.S. Uh, so that there is a natural counterbalance uh, to China in setting higher standards uh, uh, for uh, the rules that will be determined uh, moving forward. Now, my next question is, uh, can you imagine a situation uh, where the U.S. and China are working together to help peacefully resolve the crisis in Myanmar? I think first, I am possibly seeing the chance for cooperation with America and China. Uh, and as I think some of us said earlier, climate will be a very clear area because there Xi Jinping made a very strong commitment with carbon uh, neutrality by 2060. And Biden will also have to do so. His pledge to do so oh, you. already uh, will take executive action orders to do so. Um, the other area of possible cooperation, and here it's a bit optimistic and a bit early to say this, is on the pandemic and the WHO. There's, of course, a lot of vaccine nationalism going on, but I think this is an area where surely people must see that the cooperation of the great powers is necessary to reestablish uh, safety in the world. On Myanmar, let's be an example, I think actually Americans under Biden are already trying to do no harm. Uh, they have come in with much more targeted sanctions at the moment against the Myanmar generals and now they're holding companies, their economic interests. Uh, but they realize actually that their levers, because they have not invested that much in Myanmar, are quite weak compared to China, Japan, or even some of our ASEAN members, including my country, Singapore. Uh, Biden has, his officials rather, have quite respectfully actually engaged ASEAN neighbors and of course Japan to try and figure out what they should do, what they should not do. And I think in the sense, uh, uh, there can be a sort of a working effort between the different players to try to help the process in Myanmar. But a direct China-US cooperation Myanmar, 
I think it's too uh, too early, but also their interests are too different. I'm not saying that China wins if the generals are in charge, because their relationship with the generals is very complicated. But clearly, it's different from America. China's got huge stakes in that country. My next question is uh, about uh, whether you think it is realistic to expect the U.S. to go along or even cooperate with the Belt and Road uh, Initiative. And at the same time, on the other hand, is it realistic to expect China to embrace the uh, free and open Indo-Pacific? Well, I think the degree to which Americans will look at the BRI is that they understand that infrastructure is a big issue for us. I think actually all of us should be thanking China for having put a spotlight on this critical problem. You know, we've spent decades renegotiating ASEAN economic integration with our various partners in terms of the rules, the tariffs, etc. But the, the very practical connectivity of between countries and actually within countries, especially large countries like the Philippines and Indonesia, and on the continental part of Southeast Asia. This is something that has been a huge gap to give real reality to the agreements. And so whether it is the Bell and Road or some other initiatives like those by the Japanese and the multilateral banks, this should move ahead. Now, can America come to the table with something? Now, obviously, you know, one of us, all of us who've been to America over the last 20 years and on the East Coast go between, say, New York and DC, we keep riding the same train. So it's not a particularly great train. So they've got to get some of this at home in order. But we are at a time where, you know, America and Biden put trillions of dollars on the table, and some of them will be for infrastructure. As America gains momentum in these areas and that amount of money is coming out, surely the logic will come, not straight away, that some of this needs to go in connectivity within and with partners in Indo-Pacific, right? So in a way, again, it goes back to this basic that domestic strength and then outward policy. It's impossible for America to come to Asia with the billions of dollars that you know, Chinese talk about uh, without doing something at home first. You know, it's not politically sustainable. But again, on the Chinese part, I think they are also at a point where they have to rethink a lot of the Belt and Road initial projects and the approach they took. They've shown some signs of this, but the pandemic has been another big hit for them to rethink it. If they don't, they'll be throwing their own money after bad projects. So I think we are interesting uh, uh, pause and perhaps, uh, again, a point which things will get better. Uh, the importance will be, of course, how we ourselves in ASEAN respond to it. So you mentioned the Indo-Pacific. We have an ASEAN outlook on the Indo-Pacific, the AOIP, in contrast to the various versions of America, ours is inclusive. Similarly, I think we need to emphasize ASEAN master plan connectivity rather than just simply take belt and road as China-centric. No, not all the roads need to bring to Beijing and not all the funding needs to come to Beijing. We need how to respond to this collectively. Uh, Cesar, uh, what is your... Uh, do you see a possibility of... Uh, uh, the U.S. Uh, getting involved in the BRI? I think the direct answer to that question is no. 
but I think there is a possibility of complementation. No? Uh, as you know, uh, as, as Simon pointed out, uh, infrastructure is uh, very important to ASEAN connectivity. Now, with or without the uh, BRI, if ASEAN is to be uh, more integrated, no? uh, it has to invest in uh, uh, different types of uh, infrastructure, no? uh, both uh, hard, uh, soft, digital uh, infrastructure. And the U.S., if it is to be uh, uh, relevant uh, in the discussion so that it can also help set the standards for this infrastructure, uh, can participate. No? Uh, the other opportunity is in uh, uh, taking the leap to a more green uh, infrastructure, especially as uh, as the engine to potentially get out of this economic rut that all of us are uh, uh, in. So the U.S. can actually uh, uh, play a role uh, in that, no? not directly in BRI, but in projects that uh, may uh, complement uh, uh, those projects of the uh, BRI. And they can work closely with Japan and especially through the Asian Development uh, uh, Bank. We're seeing also right now there's close cooperation between uh, AIIB and uh, ADB. Uh, no? But ADB. that doesn't mean that the, uh, the ADB, no? but that doesn't mean that uh, uh, the U.S. will in effect uh, follow that uh, BRI uh, uh, footprint. No? Uh, infrastructure is a very broad uh, uh, space. No? And uh, the U.S. is also in a rebuilding uh, uh, process, no? and I think this would be a, a good time to be able to benefit from that uh, uh, experience as well. Uh, Evander? Uh, I fully agree with uh, with Simon and, and Cesar that um, as it stands, the short answer is no, there's not, uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, I mentioned earlier about the uh, domestic legitimacy of the regime in Washington and, and, and Beijing that's now tied to the rivalry. Uh, certainly, it is true that as far as infrastructure is concerned, uh, we would like to be engaged with both. And certainly, there are many initiatives out there beyond the BRI that can provide uh, different paths to infrastructure development across ASEAN. Uh, but I think this highlights an important point uh, we discussed earlier regarding collaboration um, and that with the new administration, uh, things will be more collective, multilaterals uh, will be the uh, preferred options. The problem with, uh, with collaboration under heightened great power competition is when you collaborate, whose agenda um, do you serve? Uh, my concern is that more engagement from the US and China to Southeast Asia isn't exactly about our issues, about our interests, about our agenda, but it's about their interests and their issues and their agenda. So I think Simon is absolutely right that ASEAN's um, outlook on the Indo-Pacific does serve as an alternative discourse about a much more uh, inclusive regional order that we would like to see uh, within the Indo-Pacific. Yes, I think Indonesia as the original um, architect of that idea needs to bring in more uh, concrete proposals on how we can materialize or, or, or strengthen uh, that outlook, uh, more resources, uh, more plans and activities within the ASEAN outlook on Indo-Pacific. And I think that's something that we're currently working on, on how we can make it more than just a statement of intent, uh, make it more than just an alternative argument about a future regional order. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, uh, we cannot expect the U.S. and China uh, to accept each other's geopolitical vision 
as they are embodied within the BRI uh, uh, and the freedom, uh, the free and open Indo-Pacific. Okay, um, I have a few more questions actually, but I think we have uh, run out of uh, time. Uh, and so my last question would be, let us say, uh, since uh, we given that these two major powers are in a very complicated uh, relationship uh, and uh, with many uh, characteristics ranging from competition to cooperation, uh, what would be uh, the ASEAN uh, agenda? What would be the ASEAN uh, response to to this? Uh, how can we participate in the shaping? of uh, not just the relationship between the two, but perhaps uh, the broader uh, international order. Uh, since we are a small country, as uh, Yang Yeji has said, uh, what can we do when the elephants collide? And what can we, uh, what are the options that are uh, open to us in ASEAN? I think our safe harbor is really to continue to build on ASEAN uh, uh, centrality, to continue to fast track our uh, integration as a, a region uh, so that uh, we can uh, gain uh, uh, economic uh, uh, mass so that uh, uh, we can uh, properly uh, uh, become, you know, uh, hopefully, the convener uh, in the uh, region. Uh, our first step is really to get the U.S. president back to our summits. I think uh, it's been, what, three or four summits already that uh, we haven't had the attendance of the U.S. Uh, uh, president. And hopefully with Biden as the uh, current president, uh, we can uh, get him back uh, uh, again so that uh, the pivot, the second pivot, as uh, they uh, say, can actually uh, uh, be more uh, uh, Meaningful. substantive, yeah. No. yeah. Uh, Captain, yes, Cesar is right. We have to keep some of the old game, uh, old efforts to engage all partners and really uh, use the ASEAN uh, summitry and centrality. Uh, we have really got to fight against a view that's an either or or worse, some sort of new cold war. In a war, you really have to choose sides. This is at best a competition. The competition you can choose on one issue, with one go with another partner on, on the other. And then we've got to keep our ASEAN uh, group together. Yes, there will be issues and differences, but I think we have the tools and the history to really have a candid dialogue among each other, with each other and then move forward in new ways. And I think that Myanmar and other new issues will test us, but better ASEAN hang together than hang separately, as the old saying is. Now, I think the third element is while we are hopefully still in the center, we have got to learn to work with others. Uh, you know, Korea, Japan uh, is as an economy, uh, Taiwan too. All of these have said they want more to do with ASEAN. Uh, you know, I think these need to be taken seriously. Uh, we have at the same time a new animal on the horizon, the Quad, uh, which had the first meeting with America uh, at the leaders level. Uh, India, Japan, and Australia. We've got to think through very hard how ASEAN relates to this new configuration. They're all our friends, each of them. And they're all in the East Asia Summit. But you know, the Quad as a group may have a different tenor, different tone, especially in regards of China, who also is a very important partner for many of us. So there's a lot to play for, a lot of dynamics. 
And I think ASEAN has gone through a lot. Uh, you know, at various points we've talked about you know, echoes from the 1990s, the Cold War, uh, but there are new ways of looking at this and we must be really be uh, faced the new challenges and post-pandemic really comprehensively try to recover. Uh, before this pandemic, we were talking about growing at an equal pace with China. That is gone for the moment. But I think if we continue to work, we must realize that not just united, we must be successful. A successful small grouping of small countries, as Yang Jie just said, we, and we are small, even Indonesia is relatively small compared to China or India, right? But we can be successful, we have been, and we should be confident that we can uh, respond to the new strategic environment and also adapt. Evan, uh, you have the last word. Uh, thank you. I think, first of all, uh, in terms of institutional development, ASEAN uh, should consider revising the charter. I think some of the challenges that we see as a regional grouping uh, can be tied to some of the challenges that we see in some of the provisions uh, within the ASEAN charter, from decision-making to the role of the Secretary General to uh, a more institutionalized uh, form of crisis management, as we now see uh, to be necessary in the case of Myanmar. So for ASEAN to be a much more significant player, I think it's time that we revise, um, review and revise the ASEAN Charter as actually included within the Charter itself, that there is a provision to review the Charter. Secondly, um, beyond the regional grouping, I think within individual Southeast Asian states, I do think that we need to develop much more closer ties and collaboration and coordination and figure out how to deal with our own respective issues, uh, whether it's about maritime delimitation or about um, a mutual economic and political insurrection across the board. I think the uh, expansion of ASEAN uh, in the 90s and, and 2000s um, sort of put us on a path to focus more on extra uh, regional engagement and less uh, within our own region. Uh, but of course, I, I also fully agree with Simon that uh, Southeast Asian states and ASEAN should also be thinking beyond great power politics and actually consider uh, the regional powers um, of Japan, South Korea, Australia, and others. I think these relationships uh, have been built bilaterally with some countries in the region, uh, but not across the board. And lastly, I think in terms of great power politics, my uh, sense is that uh, we have always assumed in Southeast Asia that the region is geopolitically important, that we are just uh, that we are geostrategically crucial uh, because we are at the heart of the Indo-Pacific. I think that breeds complacency. Um, in the recent years. I think we assume we're important, so we're just gonna wait until the great powers court us economically, politically, or in terms of security ties. I think we need to figure out ways to define or redefine our importance by what we bring to the table, not by what others see in us and court in us. And I think this is something that uh, we haven't really quite figured out because to be honest, uh, in the long run, I don't think it should matter whether or not uh, uh, the US president comes to our summit. Because what matters is less the lip service and the diplomatic symbolism, but what kind of work and outcome that we can achieve as a region uh, within ASEAN as, as the driving force. Uh, so for me, uh, without improving how the institution is built, and by that, I mean, we have to review and revise the ASEAN charter without deepening uh, the relationship among uh, the Southeast Asian countries themselves, I think it'll be very difficult 
for ASEAN and Southeast Asia to set the agenda and set the tone for regional architecture in the future. Well, thank you. Thank you to all of you uh, for sharing your thoughts. They've been very valuable. Uh, and uh, we, uh, uh, we have a lot of uh, things, more, more things to, to think about uh, given what you have shared with us uh, this afternoon. Thank you very much. Don't forget to share and subscribe Eyes on Southeast Asia on your favorite streaming platform. Follow FPCI social media for more information about our activities, upcoming events, and programs. See you there. Thank you.